Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We're going to be focusing on uh, Robert Kennedy and RFK Must Die and Dirty Tricks, and it's the Watergate uh, book on uh, Richard Nixon. So, uh, Shane O'Sullivan, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. Shane, so. how how did you get so involved in 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 writing about these um, kind of uh, assassinations and these kind of this the these historical events that were um, pretty pretty shattering to the world at the time? Um, what brought you into all this? Well, I mean, my my wife was actually working on a, a Japanese TV program about uh, Kennedy conspiracy theories, believe it or not. And, you know, I, I knew very little about them. This was kind of 13, 14 years ago. And I helped her out with a bit of research. And uh, and I was hooked. I, I, I found all of the circumstances around Bobby Kennedy's death in, in June 68 really fascinating. At the time, I was writing screenplays. So the idea of adapting the, the, the facts of the case and, and looking into the mysterious girl in the polka dot dress who was allegedly with Sirhan Sirhan, the convicted assassin that night. Um, the idea of a second shooter uh, who was in the room but never found. The idea of Sirhan being a Manchurian candidate, a hypnotically programmed assassin. So all of these kind of elements drew my attention. Um, but then in terms of researching um, what I thought was going to be a screenplay, I, I did some kind of documentary research of my own to kind of try, try and find out what the real ending was because I didn't really believe the, the official story. 
And in, in piecing together that evidence, I, I found new evidence that, that seemed to show at the time um, CIA agents at the hotel, at the Ambassador Hotel in, in June 68. Um, and this was validated by a couple of ex-CIA agents and, 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 and congressional investigators. And so that set me off on my path to make my documentary, RFK Must Die. Um, so I made a short piece for the BBC in 2006, and then the film came out the following year. And then my book, Who Killed Bobby, was published on the 40th anniversary of the assassination in 2008. So I went from being a kind of a, a screenwriter, budding screenwriter, to a, a documentary maker and a, an, an author. That's how I got started. Yeah, quite a, quite a jump. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what 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 is it that hooks everybody about this first before we get into details? What do you think it is that is so drawing uh, about let's say, even the RFK case, of course, JFK, but uh, what what drew you in? What is it that you, it, is it just mystery, conspiracy? Like, what what is it? Well, I mean, obviously, it was a key turning point in American history in terms of what was lost. I mean, you know, um, Bobby Kennedy, it was, you know, an 85-day campaign where he really captured the public imagination. And obviously, um, he was he was on a platform to try and end the war in Vietnam. So it was, a you know, it was obviously a key turning point in American history. And, uh, and now members of his own family uh, no longer believe the official story that he was shot by this, um, you know, lone gunman, 24-year-old Palestinian Sirhan Sirhan. So I was fascinated by Bobby Kennedy's last campaign, and I was also fascinated by the alleged assassin, Sirhan Sirhan, because he's been in jail for over 50 years, but he claims he has no memory of the shooting, and a lot of the evidence seemed to indicate that he couldn't have physically fired the shot that killed Kennedy because um, according to the autopsy report, the fatal shot for, was fired from an inch behind uh, Robert Kennedy's right ear, and all of the eyewitnesses in the, in the pantry um, put the barrel of Sirhan's gun two to five feet in front of Kennedy. So um, I, I think that's what sucked me in. It's kind of like the historical importance of the assassination and and also, you know, the mystery, you know, it's, a, it's, it's one of the great murder mysteries in terms of um, if, if it wasn't Sirhan, who was it? And, and, and if he was in a hypnotic trance at the time, as the defense psychiatrists and many of the other psychiatrists who worked with him believe he was, then what was the true story behind that? So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great story. It's a great mystery. But also, it, it matters because it's it's a it's a very important piece of American history, and he's one of the last last standing kind of political assassins in terms of you know one who's still alive today. I mean, obviously, Oswald was killed two two days after the assassin of, assassination of JFK. Uh, the assassin of Martin Luther King um, died in the late 90s, but Sirhan is still alive and he's still in prison. So. Um, many people think he he was unfairly accused and that he's an innocent man and that this, that the true assassin has never been found. So, in a way, it's 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 still a, a live case um, that begs to be reopened. So that, I think that's that those are part of the elements why people are still interested. Well, you know, I see that. Um, you know, I sort of where I'm mixed on this. Um, first of all, that um, um, that he was assassinated by somebody else other than Sirhan Sirhan. That, yeah. Uh, which which it, I, I kind of get. Like we had a professor on call. His name's Paul Dabali. And he's, mm -hmm. his book comes out in April. And he's suggesting that it was somebody behind Kennedy that, um, and it was an accident. 
that the person wasn't intending on killing RFK. Um, he mm. pulled his gun, and it's an accident. Uh, here or there, whatever, if his you know, theory's right or not, we'll see his evidence when it comes out. But mm. I'm thinking, so if you have someone else that's killing RFK, um, why do we jump to, the, to, the, to assume that Sirhan Sirhan is, is, is innocent? I, you know what or, I'm saying? I'm saying I almost yeah. put him as maybe he's co-conspirator. They're involved. They have this plan. They both shoot. shoot. He's shooting yeah. in the crowd. Uh, you know, coming out later and saying, well, you know, I was MK Ultra and all this stuff is, is it's kind mm. of a good defense. But how, how can we believe that? Yeah, what evidence? Yeah, sure. No, I, I can understand that. And, you know, I mean, in my book, I kind of, I think I lay out pretty much two scenarios in my mind that are credible. And one is obviously if you think Sirhan did it alone and, you know, there were only eight bullets fired in the pantry and he was responsible and that's, you know, when he says he can't remember, he's lying. I mean, obviously that's one point of view you could take. Um, but, you know, the, one of the key pieces of evidence that's emerged in the last 10 years or so is the uh, Prasinski recording, which was a long-lost recording, which was rediscovered and analyzed and found to contain 13 gunshots, or, or the sound of 13 shots on the only audio recording of the shooting. So that supports the idea that um, the eight bullets in Sirhan's gun were fired, and also five bullets were fired from a second gun um, in, the, in the firing position behind Kennedy, from which the fatal shot was fired. Now, there was a security guard called Ten Eugene Caesar who was uh, standing precisely in that location, uh, hold Ken holding Kennedy by the right arm, leading him through the pantry at that moment. And there is a train of thought that, you know, it, when, when Sirhan started firing, the security guard reaches for his gun. He did have a gun on him uh, on that night. And, and that he may have, in, in firing back at Sirhan, accidentally fired at Kennedy. I mean, that is one one train of thought, not one that I particularly agree with, but um, I have heard that theory before. In terms of Sirhan working with a conspirator, I, I personally don't really buy that because, I mean, basically he's been grilled and grilled over 50 years at, at, at endless parole hearings, and if there was a conspirator, it would, it would serve his, his own interest to come clean and say who it was. And he's been debriefed and debriefed by, you know, his defense attorney, a series of defense attorneys, defense psychiatrists, been put under hypnosis, worked with a guy called uh, Dr. Dan Brown over the last 10, 12 years to um, to summon up his, his recall of events that night. And I truly believe he can't remember. And if he did remember, as I say, I, I just I'd, it would be in his interest at this stage to have any hope of spending any of the remainder of his life outside of prison to come clean. Because what happens at these parole hearings is he's in a kind of catch-22 situation where there's no way he's ever going to be given parole unless he um, fully apologizes for, you know, the... Um, for what he's done and he has no hope of doing that unless he confesses um, and, and that confession would be okay I did it in league with this conspirator but he's never been able to do that because he's never been able to remember so in a way he's, he's keeping himself in prison by not being able to remember and not being able to re express true remorse according to the parole officers um, so it's going against his interest in a, in a, in a, in a sense that's why I, I, I kind of think you have to approach this with two um, two possible avenues. One is that he did it alone, and, and the other is that he was a patsy, and, and, and the, pro the hypnotic programming uh, went into that, so he was a kind of a distraction. He got out there firing his gun, but then a prof professional hitman um, actually fired 
the fatal shot that killed Kennedy and Sirhan then was framed as the convenient assassin. And and we can go into all of the, you know, the the motivation that was planted on him in terms of making him a credible assassin in the eyes of the public. Um, but, you know, for, for me, those are the, the two possibilities. And Shane, even if he confesses, Shane, do you think that that would be accepted? Sure, it would be accepted very well by the government, but the public who believes that this was a giant setup, a giant conspiracy, do you think that his confession would be accepted by them, or would it just be looked at as, you know what, this is part of the conspiracy just to get us to stop looking at it? He's, you know, he's just a patsy, and now he's confessing simply because he's told to. Yeah, I mean, it would obviously it would be treated with a high degree of skepticism if he did it now, 50 years later. You know, you'd be wondering, well, why is he changing his story? I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of this is hypothetical. I mean, I, I, I don't know, to be honest, that it would really help his cause at this stage, because I, I think the political will is to keep him in jail for the rest of his life anyway. Um, so I think his chances of getting out of jail are, are quite slim. But there was actually... Um, I mean, he, it looked like he was going to get out in the early 80s because he's been eligible for parole since the early 80s. And he was actually given a parole date um, of, I think it was 1985, and that was brought forward a year. And, and just before um, the year when he was going to get out, um, there was a change of attorney general in California, and they did a big campaign against him, and they, he got, and, and they got his parole date rescinded. So basically, he's been eligible for parole since the mid-80s, but he's he's just sat in jail because the politicians want to keep him there, you know, so um, ever since. Um, so, you know, I, I think the two most convincing pieces of evidence that we have that he's that he's telling the truth, as I say, is the Brzezinski recording um, of 13 shots in the pantry. Um, I don't believe Sirhan went in there knowing there was another gunman um, involved or knowing a conspirator was involved. Um, and also the fact that Dr. Dan Brown of Harvard Medical School has he's spent over 150 hours with Sirhan in prison in California over the last 10, 12 years trying to summon up his memory uh, of the shooting. And there, there's just a blank. Um, there's a blank at a certain point where he meets this girl in the polka dot dress. Um, he goes back to the, to the hotel in search of coffee. He meets the girl. She leads them into a dark place, which turns out to be the pantry. And then, um, and he's kind of sexually attracted to this girl and thinks he's going to make it with her that night. No indication that he has any thoughts of Kennedy at that time. And then he, there, there's a blank until he's, he wakes up and he's been choked on the steam table by people jumping at him uh, after the shooting. Um, some of that kind of bl blackout period um, was was kind of targeted by Dr. Dan Brown to kind of see you know what else he could summon up from Sirhan's memory about that. And, and during his work with Sirhan, um, on three separate occasions, when he was given uh, a cue word or a certain keyword that uh, triggered the program, Sirhan uh, took a firing stance as if he's on a gun range, saw Kennedy coming towards him, and uh, but saw Kennedy as kind of uh, a firing range targets and, and, and started shooting. So this is what Dr. Brown calls range mode, um, which he suspects is the program that Sirhan was given to to enact when he was when he was pinched by the. Um, by the trigger girl, who may have been this girl in the polka dot dress, and given yes. this this cue word that would would set him off um, firing, and then not remembering what he'd done. So, um, so that's the theory. I mean, it is a kind of a way out theory, but 
it is something that the CIA was trying to perfect um, in the mid-50s in, in response to what they thought the Russians were doing at the time. Of course, the CIA said it was never successful, but then they would say that, you know. I mean, it would, it would well, be too scary to the public. Yeah, so, um, yeah. And, um, you know, and it all works. It all works in the government's favor. Now, you said a, you said a key word there that I, I kind of want to get your take on. You said 50 years ago. This happened 50 years ago. Hmm. Now, I work in corrections, you know, I work in the legal environment, and time is always on our side. Do you think that they're waiting to, to kind of release a little bit of this? Because, you know, this generation, you know, we, we remember it. You know, we remember JFK, we remember RFK, you know, we understand the Manchurian candidate to some extent. But yeah. this generation, you know, the Google generation, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, do you think that they're waiting, you know, like, okay, this generation is going to look back on this and who cares? Mm. You know, who is this Sir Hans? You know, who cares? Yeah, yeah. And, and why would this matter? And, you know, are they just waiting until time is on their side? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question. Um, I, I think without the support of the Kennedy family, I think we'd be kind of sunk. I think it would be very difficult to reopen a case like this. Um, uh, because, you know, for, you know, as long as I've been researching the case, everybody always says the same thing. You know, the politicians aren't going to do anything until the Kennedy family support a reopening. And, and so what happened um, around Sir Hans' parole hearing, last parole hearing back in 2016, was that um, Robert Kennedy Jr., um, so Bobby Kennedy's son, actually came out in support of uh, a reopening of the case. And he, he, he lent his voice and kind of support, and he, he said he didn't believe Sirhan did it. And then um, last year, he went and actually visited Sirhan in prison and spent several hours with him and found him to be quite a sweet guy and, uh, and then has publicly said since that he doesn't believe um, Sirhan killed his father. So um, I think that's the kind of thing, and, and then it got, you know, that got quite a lot of press um, then when it came out last year, and so that's the kind of thing that can attract the attention of a younger audience, I think, and make and make them care because it becomes a human interest story where you you, you know you have the the son of this possible president back in 1968 saying he no longer believes the official story about his father's killing. So I, I think that's the only way we can kind of bring bring it back into the headlines and get people to wake up and and, and see that actually the official story of some of these political assassinations in the 60s just doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think the, the other, even in the JFK case, um, you find um, a couple of years ago, and it was the 50th anniversary of the JFK case, you had the CIA historian come out and say, you know, essentially, yes, we did um, cover up or we, did, we didn't share all the information we had with the Warren Commission at the time because we didn't think it was in the country's interest. And, you know, so we did, we did essentially, there, there was a benign cover-up. We weren't doing it for the wrong reasons. We were doing it for the right reasons. So there is a bit of a crack showing in terms of uh, people reassessing some of these cases and beginning to think, you know, there may be an, an alternative narrative to some of these things. So I think all we can do is keep, keep plugging away, but um, hopefully the support of the Kennedy family themselves will will help us get the media exposure to 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 get people to reassess these things. And who's uh, going to be, buy before that? All the, all the key play, before all the key players die out, obviously, you know. Um, well, Shane, who's going to buy that argument that okay, here's more information. We really didn't think it was in the government's or in the public's interest back then. 
here it is now. Now, you're talking to a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Why would I believe it now? You know, how do I know that this isn't, you know, just made up? You know, that this isn't some way to cover up what I believe is true. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is an official response to, to you know some of the thousands and thousands of documents that have been released that kind of put uh, you know the CIA historian into a corner. I mean, there's there's now such a volume of documents showing that the CIA wasn't wasn't showing its hand or or, or, or kind of uh, sharing all the documents it, it had with the Warren Commission that it's just it's just ridiculous to deny that at this stage. So they're slow, slowly beginning to admit in drips and drabs. You know what what they did back then, um, but you know I, I think you can never depend on them for the official story. I think it's more for the research community to to kind of pounce on some of these um, documents that have been released as uh, as a result of the JFK Records Act to begin to piece together what what happened ourselves um, and not rely on the official agencies. You know to 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 again once again sell us a fake a fake version of history. You know, when you come to MKUltra and Saran Saran then, um, wouldn't that suggest that it would be a government agency, probably the CIA? Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly uh, wise to kind of think about who had the capability to um, to run that kind of program at the time. Um, you would look, obviously, to um, somebody like uh, an agency like the CIA, but then it could also be, you know, one of the doctors who had earlier worked on the program at the CIA, who would then, you know, could have been working for anybody. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that the mafia uh, had had used similar, um, you know, techniques um, at various times during the same period. So it's kind of hard to to pin it down, and it's also hard to pin down who exactly the second shooter was. I mean, it could have been Caesar. Um, he was in the right position. He he lied about owning uh, a 22 that was very similar to the 22 used by Sirhan. He said they didn't have it with him on the night. He said he sold it three three months before the assassination. He ended up selling it three months after the assassination, and saying that the, the gun had been used in a police shooting. So he was a very suspicious character. But I, I think a lot of these things are very uh, very hard to pin down at this stage, 50 years after the fact. Um, I kind of take. I, I really take the approach that um, you know I, I want to show what's provable in a court of law or pr- provable in an appeals court. If Sirhan ever got to an appeals court, in terms of um, stuff he can kind of take to the bank in terms of showing his innocence, um, or, 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 or take to a parole hearing um, to, to show, in you know, in, 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 in all probable likelihood, he he didn't do it alone. He wasn't in his right mind, and he he, he should not have been correct, convicted of first degree murder as he was. Um, back in back in 69 he was given the death penalty so um, if, if that legislation had been changed in California and um, if they hadn't um, you know, rescinded the death penalty in 1972 he, he would have been dead in 72, 73 and we wouldn't be having this conversation you know? so well, while he's still alive I think it's very important that we, we look at the facts of the case and, um, and we take it as far as we can I, I, I'm not sure we'll be able to identify the second shooter or who the doctor was who programmed him or or even who the agency or our organization were who actually paid for the assassination. But um, we can certainly prove that Sirhan did it or that there were, there were, there were more involved. Now, the, the girl in the polka dot dress, the lady in the dress. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, 
we know who that is. Now, what's your what's your take on her? Or what's her story? Yeah, well, I mean, just to recap for you, for your listeners, um, yeah, the girl in the polka dot dress, there was, you know, many witnesses to a girl in polka dot dress, but the key witness was Sandra Serrano, um, who was a 20-year-old Kennedy volunteer who... Um, who was waiting for Kennedy to speak? He um, because the, the the vote machine counting uh, they were using electronic voting machines for the first time and they caused all sorts of delays in terms of the vote count. So Kennedy um, his speech was delayed until after midnight and it was getting very hot in the ballrooms where the where the crowd were waiting for for him to speak. So she went out on a fire escape um, just to get a little bit of time alone and get a bit of fresh air. And 20 minutes before the shooting. Um, three people came up the fire escape, a girl in a polka dot dress, so a white dress with black polka dots, um, a Mexican-American man in a gold sweater, and a short, scruffy man who she later identified as Sirhan Sirhan. They they go up the fire escape past her, not saying very much. Um, Then she hears there's some sort of commotion inside, and, and the timing, you know, 20 minutes later, just after the shooting, they come running down the fire escape. Um, the Sirhan figure is no longer with them. It's just the Mexican-American man in the gold sweater and, and the girl in the polka dot dress who excitedly exclaims, you know, we shot him, we shot him, we shot Bobby Kennedy. And they run down the fire escape and they flee. Sandra Serrano doesn't know what to make of what the girl has just said, but goes inside to investigate. And, and sure enough, people tell her that Bobby Kennedy's been shot. And within 90 minutes, she's on NBC uh, television, which which is now broadcasting live kind of uh, interviews with witnesses. And she tells her story to Sander Van Oker. Um, and, and so the, the girl in the polka dot dress story kind of hits the, hits the, hits the airwaves. Um, and, and in the days after the assassination, she was identified as the key possible conspirator with Sirhan. She was seen not just by Sandra Serrano fleeing down the staircase uh, or the fire escape after the assassination, but also one of the key uh, witnesses in the pantry, Vincent Di Piero, um, had seen her standing next to, had seen a very similar girl in a very similar dress standing next to Sirhan in the pantry before Kennedy came into the pantry and almost holding Sirhan up. Sirhan looked like he felt a little bit ill or he was was smiling in a strange way and the girl pinched him and then he went towards Kennedy as he came into the room and again the girl kind of disappeared which tracks to the idea that the girl pinching him and perhaps giving him this cue word when uh, Kennedy came into the pantry was his signal to enact the program and start firing and for the girl to disappear and then flee down the fire escape. Um, so Serrano and, and Di Piero were these two key witnesses to the girl in polka dot dress that the LAPD then decided they were going to browbeat into retracting their stories. So they went to work on them and there was a guy called Hank Hernandez who had some interesting connections to the CIA um, who was the polygraph expert at LAPD and uh, after a series of uh, interviews with with both of them, um, he gave them polygraphs and told them that they, you know, the polygraphs said they were lying, basically. And 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 there are still audio tapes of those interrogations, and they break every rule known to forensic science in terms of how you're supposed to conduct polygraphs. Um, they were just a, a you know a, a cheat to get them to retract their stories. Vincent de Pierre did retract his story because he was he was young and impressionable and. He was bullied by Hernandez into doing it, but Sandra Serrano refused to do so. And she stood by her story. And and when I interviewed her, 
in 2006 for my film. She hadn't been interviewed for, I think, 38 years since the night of the shooting uh, or since her, her polygraphs with uh, Hernandez. And she still told the same story. Um, she still, she was very sure about what she heard that night. She was very sure the girl was serious about having, you know, claimed to have killed Kennedy. And again, this was the girl that the Piero had seen in the pantry with Sirhan before Kennedy even came into the room. So um, she was a key conspirator. In, in my mind, you know, if you if you believe in the Manchurian candidate theory, it does make sense that she was there to go. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Make sure Sirhan was in the right place at the right time and then to give him the trigger to enact the program. So I think that's, that, that was her role in the event. Now, has anybody studied her background, and, and who is she, where did she come from, and why would she be selected for something like this? Yeah, I mean, I've looked into a couple of possible candidates for her. I was, con I was contacted after um, a woman called Elaine Neal um, a couple of years ago. Well, several years ago, she, she died, and, and after she died, her family kind of sat around and compared notes about some of the 
the, the gossip they'd heard about her during her life. And she had lived in Long Beach at that time. She she was quite young. Um, she was caught up with with a kind of um, a strange crowd. Her one of her, her her later husband claimed to be to have been involved with the CIA. Claimed to have been involved with MK Ultra and mind control, and had mind control powers. Um, and uh, and it's there were there was gossip within the family that she may have been working as a prostitute at that time in in, in the kind of Long Beach area, um, and and may have been you know a kind of a, in, involved with the wrong crowd. She um, at a church service in the late 70s um, with this this later husband um, took out a, a box containing a white dress with black polka dots and wanted to wear it to church one Sunday, and her husband just went, you know, he went ballistic. He was very, he was very upset because he thought, you know, her cover was going to be blown. And this, this became a point of discussion in the family, and, and they suspected, and her husband later claimed, that she was the girl in the polka dot dress from the Bobby Kennedy case. So I talked to her family, and, I, you know, I couldn't really take the evidence any further in terms of pinning that down but she's probably the closest that I've come in terms of identifying the girl but again um, they, I only got that lead and the, and the family only started kind of, kind of coming out in the open about it um, when she'd actually died um, several years ago so um, you know I'm not too sure how far uh, yeah. we can push that one I mean how convenient <laughs> yeah yeah but this is, I mean, this is the unfortunate thing, you know, that that bad confessions are great, but then they don't leave 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 much to go on, you know, once you can no longer talk to the the key perpetrator right. or witness. You, you, you know? can't so. you can't push for credibility. Yeah, I mean, she was. I mean, she had a very interesting background, and she was into numerology, and she was into the occult and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's it's a very tantalizing lead, but but you know. This is the problem with trying to pin stuff down. I've I've learned from experience that I don't try and overreach and, and make make these big claims if I don't have supporting evidence, because that just gives ammunition to your opposition when when you then go to court or you go to a parole hearing and they ask for supporting evidence and they just they just you know they they pick holes in your arguments. So uh, so that's why I I think the Brzezinski um, recording and 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 the sessions Dr. Brown has done with Sirhan. Are, are they're, they're enough in themselves to reopen the case, and uh, I think uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. feels the same way. Now, it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, do, do, do you think that the girl in the polka dot dress, the one that you're kind of uh, assigning to her, possibly? Um, yeah. Does does that type of profile fit? And I mean, I mean, in the action, um, like if you were a handler for MK Ultra and you were doing that sort of thing. Um, involved in this, um, would you be that excitable that you'd run out the door and the stairs screaming, "Oh, we got him! We got him! We got Kennedy!" or whatever? We shot him. Uh, yeah, does that fit yeah. that profile, or do you think that that's sort of exaggerated? Or what's uh, your thought? Uh, well, I mean, this this is the problem when you're when you're looking at a case like this because I mean, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense, you know, that she would she would exclaim like this and uh, and make that claim, you know, to to be overheard by a witness who would then act on it and bring it bring it to the attention of the authorities. Of course, yeah, of course, it makes no sense at all. But but um, but you know, I mean, these aren't kind of um, cold, meticulous operations conducted by trained robots you know these are just human beings who i guess gets get swept away in the adrenaline of the of the moment and um 
which may explain why she she gave that excited utterance, thinking that maybe she she wouldn't be overheard by Serrano, um, and 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 thinking that once they'd hit the fire escape, they'd escaped and and and, and you know they hadn't been apprehended and they'd got away with it. So. Um, it's 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 kind of crazy when you, when you look at a case like this under the microscope. Um, there are so many strange things that that people do, and the same goes for the Watergate case as well. And and you just have to look at the balance of the evidence. I mean, for me, it is a crazy thing for a conspirator to say, but then when you have you know key witnesses uh, seeing her in the pantry next to Sirhan, um, the two witnesses agreeing on the key kind of descriptions of what she looked like and what her dress looked like. Um, I, I think that's kind of strong evidence that she was there and she played a role, um, even if her behavior is, is kind of not exactly textbook um, assassination conspiracy stuff that you would expect from a, from a, a planned, meticulously planned assassination plot. Now, Shane, in your investigation, I mean, you know, this would serve the public interest, what you're reporting, but it would go against the government agenda as we understand it as conspiracy theorists. Mm. <laughs> so, and yes, I emphasize that, but ha have you, have you had any opposition in your investigation for these, you know, these new revelations that you're making in your book? Um, I, I think at this stage, um, it's surprising how slapdash the um, the California authorities were. The um, there was a, a habeas corpus petition filed by Sirhan's attorneys that they were still chasing up several years ago, and it went to the Attorney General of California at that time, who was Kamala Harris, who's obviously you know now now running for president. Um, and 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 you know you would think they would take a serious look at the evidence and uh, and open it up and and, uh, and take a take a fresh look at at all the doc documentation which is in Sacramento at the California State Archives anyway but what they did was they they basically subcontracted their investigation into it to a kind of a a British author who was known as being kind of the Gerald Posner of the um RFK assassination who's who basically his line is that wasn't a conspiracy. That wasn't a conspiracy. He just, he, you know, he just makes a. His whole book is is towards supporting the official story and knocking down any notion of conspiracy theory without any objective view of the evidence. So what they did was they just brought him in as a consultant and he wrote their brief for them. And um, that's how lazy and how complacent they were in terms of, uh, you know, their eagerness to reinvestigate the official stories. So, I, I haven't had any. Um, harassment or anything like that um it, it's it's just just kind of disinterest and and refusing to even answer the queries of paul trade who paul trade was um he was a, a close friend of bobby kennedy he was um this is is one of the key labor leaders involved with him at the time he was on the platform at the ambassador hotel with bobby kennedy that night and he was walking eight feet behind him through the pantry when kennedy was shot and paul trade himself was shot in the head um, and, you know, I think it would have been uh, an inch further down. He may have been killed himself, but he survived. And then in the early 70s, he began to feel um, that Sirhan didn't do it, that there was a second gun involved. And, and ever since then, since about 1974, he's been leading um, the campaign to reopen the case. And he's, he's consistently lobbied 
the California Arts authorities to do something with the support of Bobby Kennedy Jr., and they just ignore him. I mean, the, he writes to the LAPD, he writes to the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, California District Attorney, and they just they just brush it away. So I think in, in that kind of situation, it's not so much um, you know a, an active threat as just disinterest and, and and kind of not replying to um, to correspondence until the media um, coverage of the case gets to such a pitch that they have to do something. Which again, which again is where the, the Kennedy interest comes in. Where if if the media suddenly uh, get interested in the case then the authorities have to do something. So I think that's the, that's the, the way we need to go to, um, to get something done in the case at this late stage. Because this, oh, I was just going to say, did the ballistics match? So the shots that actually had entered Kennedy's body um, yeah. and that killed him. Now, did, did the ballistics of those bullets match that of Sir Han's gun? Well, with the fatal shot, it was very diff- very difficult because um, it was it was a kind of bullet um, that mushroomed um, once it hit um, Kennedy's head. You know, once it went into his brain and it, it mushroomed and it, it, it broke into tens and tens of pieces. Um, so they were kind of it, it was hard for Thomas Noguchi, who was the coroner, to even determine what caliber of a bullet it was because it, it, it mushroomed and, and, and then broke up into so many different fragments. Um, in terms of the rest of the, the evidence, um, there were three bullets in pretty good shape um, for comparison with the, with the bullets from Sirhan's gun. But the problem was that that nobody independently looked at those until 1975, which was seven years after the shooting. Um, the guy who had actually looked into it for LAPD, Dwayne Wolfer, was under investigation at the time for forensic um, or, or ballistics errors in other cases. Um, the LAPD backed him up for his work at Sirhan's trial, and he claimed that you know test bullets from Sirhan's gun matched the bullets that were found in Kennedy and, and some of the other victims. But then by 1975, um, due to a leaded barrel, when they tried to fire uh, new test bullets from Sirhan's gun, um, the gun would no longer put, put kind of clean, clean markings on the bullets to allow such a comparison. So they could no longer 100% say that the victim bullets are the bullet that came, the Kennedy neck bullet that was lodged in his neck. Um, they could no, no, no longer say 100% that um, those bullets matched their hands gun. They, they felt there was a likelihood they did, but they couldn't, they couldn't be sure. The only thing that they could say was that the, the bullet found in Kennedy's neck and the bullet found in Wiesel and the bullet found uh, in Goldstein, um, they all matched. So there was a, a gun that did um, the damage in, those, in terms of those three bullets, but um, they couldn't 100% match the, uh, the victim bullets to Sirhan's gun. So, again, that was spun in the press as being no evidence of a second gun, but actually what it meant was that, you know, um, the, 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 the victim bullets and Sirhan, the barrel of Sirhan's gun had deteriorated to such a point that it was now too late to say. So, um, so again, there's not much more we can, we can do with that. Um, but again, the Przinsky recording indicates that 13 shots were fired. There were bullet holes found in the pantry door frames and the center divider in the pantry uh, of the doorway through which Kennedy came on his way to the, from the stage through the pantry. And those also support the idea that, um, you know, there were, there were uh, three bullets that, there was a bullet that went into Kennedy's brain, there was a bullet that was lodged in his neck, um, a bullet 
that went through the shoulder pad of his coat, uh, another that went through his armpit. There were five victims injured, uh, and as I say, there were like at, at least four bullet holes found in the in the pantry centre divider in the doorway. So that that amounts to pretty much the 13 bullets and the 13 gunshots that were heard on the Prince recording. So um, I, I I believe that there were two guns and and that there were 13 shots. So somebody in there fired five extra shots. Um, and most of those did the, did the damage to Kennedy. Man, they wanted to make sure the job was done. Well, yeah. I mean, again, if you if you look at you know this being a planned operation, I mean, you don't you don't trust it to a hypno program patsy to to make sure that Kennedy's going to going to die. You know, I mean, it's the uh, it was the all important California primary. This was the time to do it before his his campaign really uh, caught on and he went to Chicago and tried to win the nomination there. Uh, so this was this was the key time to do it. You only have one chance. Um, as we know, once once Bobby Kennedy was killed, they brought in Secret Service protection to, present, or to, to protect presidential candidates. So if this had failed, they probably wouldn't get another chance. So, you know, I, I personally don't believe they would leave it in the hands of just one assassin. They would they would have Sarah out there to take the fall, but they would have a, a professional hitman there to, to do the job properly and get away. And, and so, you know, I feel that's, that's what happened. Now, you mentioned the term hypno-programmed, and again, I, I kind of buy into this theory. Um, watching the video and listening to reports of what Jack Ruby did, they say that it's almost like he was hypno-programmed. Do you think that there's a connection? Or that this is a an umbrella, I don't know, I don't want to say, keep saying the word conspiracy, but an umbrella, you know, let's get all of them and let's use these patsies to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I've, I've heard that about Ruby as well. And obviously his behavior was so strange that I wouldn't discount that possibility. And uh, I think, you know, an author, um, there's an author, Dick Russell, who I'm a big fan of his work in the JFK assassination, and he's looked into that, I know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I would certainly link potentially link those behind both Kennedy assassinations as, you know, being part of the same team, perhaps using the same kind of methods. Um, I also know um, I've done some work on um, a guy called uh, Luis Angel Castillo, who was picked up in the in the Philippines in 1967, um, having, you know, and he was, he, he was basically, they had used and deprogrammed him and, and found that he, he operated to a similar MO uh, in terms of, you know, uh, on the activation of a keyword, he would enact a program and uh, which was all about killing, assassinating President Marcos in the Philippines at the time. Um, and he was actually based out of Chicago. And, and, uh, and again, he seemed to, he claimed to have intelligence links at that time, which just predates the Bobby Kennedy assassination by a year. Um, so I, I definitely think um, there their kind of research into this um, continued through the 60s. I think it was probably successful, and I think it was probably um, a technology, if you want to call it that, that they used uh, through this period, but I've never acknowledged or, or never admitted. Um, and then, you know, Richard Helms was the director of CIA at that time, and when he left office um, in 73, 
he um, I mean he, he he got them to shred a lot of the documents documenting these programs um, like MKUltra MK and so on um, so you know we no longer have records uh, of exactly what went on in terms of those programs apart from kind of some, some budgetary documentation and so on but something you said earlier kind of gives me a little bit of hope you know having you know some intimate knowledge of said programs that it seems as if people have gotten complacent and like we said earlier you know we're alluding to a, a, an earlier point that it's been 50 years and and not just mk ultra but other programs that we have you know profiled on this show as well do you think that given the complacency of the government and the the lapse of time do you think that we will ever really know the truth will they let it slip out or will they just say you know it really doesn't matter anymore let's just declass all of this stuff uh i i think the problem is that um some of the guys who were doing this back at that time it was so closely held and you know the the compartmentalization uh, within cia um of these operations i mean they aren't they normally aren't put down on paper and they're closely held by the couple of people involved. You know, I mean, so so many times as I was looking at, um, you know, CIA, CIA in relation to the the Kennedy assassinations or in relation to Watergate, uh, so many times these operations were known to kind of a couple of senior figures at the top, and then whoever was directly involved on the ground, but nobody else. And and you know that they, they, they operate on a need to know basis. And they just didn't share information, and they certainly didn't put it in writing. So obviously, as some of these people die die off, and and they're no longer al alive to um, to confess to any of this stuff, and if there's no written record, um, you know, I mean, the, the 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 nature of these operations and what they did dies with them. So um, you know, unless we do have a kind of a a very old whistleblower who, who makes this deathbed confession. Um, it's, it's very hard, hard to get at the truth, other than you know painstakingly go back through the documents that we have, and and, and kind of do an analysis of them in, in terms of coming up with what what you know the most likely explanation for what happened. Now, one other person that was there that we haven't talked about much was Caesar, the uh, security guard. Did you? Yeah. Were you able to find anything out about him? Did he have kind of a uh, weird background or a good background How, what was his ties well i mean he's i have mixed feelings a bit about caesar because obviously he was in the he was in the right position um he did have a gun with him on the night he claimed it was a 38 but he also owned a 22 um that becomes important in terms of the uh, Pazunski recording analysis because phil van prague who actually did that analysis um he, he did a test firing with Caesar's 22 and uh, with a with a model matching Caesar's 22 and a model matching Sirhan's 22, um, and he found that the frequencies when you fired them from similar firing positions uh, in relation to Kennedy um, that you know that those two guns were on the night, they they made just the, the matching frequencies um, to the frequencies found on the Przinsky recording. In other words, um, he was able to determine which which of the 13 shot sounds came from Sirhan's gun and which came from Caesar's gun in, in kind of tracking who shot who, shot who when um, during the actual shooting itself. So um, that, again, seems to, to support the idea that the second gun was Caesar's 22. On the, on the, you know, on the pros and cons, on the cons side, I mean, he was a part-time security guard. 
He went bankrupt in the 90s. He doesn't ever seem to have uh, had very much money. He's currently living in the Philippines with a Filipino wife. He doesn't seem to have profited from this assassination in any way. Um, the way he talked to Ted Chirac, a researcher Ted Chirac and Dan, Dan Mondea, um later on in the 90s about the case and, and later took um, polygraph tests himself to, to try and prove his innocence is not necessarily the behavior you'd, you'd expect from um, you know, a professional assassin or, or somebody who had been involved. So, so I, I can't definitively state that it was him. He's obviously a key person of interest, but, um, but at the same time, you, you do wonder um, uh, with an assassination of this level if they would really entrust it to somebody like Payne Eugene Caesar to uh, to carry out an important hit hit like that with his background of just being a part time, you know, kind of two bit security guard. Um, the other the other thing worth considering here is that the 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 shot that killed Kennedy seems to have come from uh, an inch behind his right ear. Sirhan was obviously in that. Sorry, Caesar was in that position. But if, if it wasn't him who fired, he was certainly best placed to know who the other person or who the second shooter is. Um, so there's a possibility that he, he knows more than he said over the years in terms of him having seen who the second shooter was, but, but never having talked about it. So he indicated kind of darkly to Ted Chirac in, in those interviews in the early 70s that he knew more than he'd let on when he'd been interviewed by LAPD, but he's, he's never he's never said any more about that than uh, you know after after those Chirac interviews. Wow. And, and in terms of getting to him today, um, Dan, Dan Mosea, who's an author who, who used to embrace the second gun theory and then had a kind of like a, a change of heart, he um, he's now the godfather to one of Caesar's sons and essentially acts as an agent for uh, Thane Eugene Caesar in terms of trying to interview him. So when I was writing my book and making my film 10, 11 years ago, um, it, Maldea quoted me $50,000 if I want to speak to um, Tim <laughs> oh, wow. so now, you know, now it's a kind of commercial proposition, you know, he's trying to, yeah. he's trying to profit off it now in a way that, you know, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it becomes a kind of a dubious business. Yeah. Wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me too. That. Yeah, we get that. <laughs> wow. This has been a, a little bit more information for our uh, listeners on RFK. We've had plenty of information and and again Shane O'Sullivan and we've been talking about who killed Bobby and that was the uh, unsolved murder of Robert F Kennedy and the book will be linked on our site thank you Shane thank you to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.